and a warm welcome to First Move. I'm Max Foster in London, recapping our top story. The second day of the NATO summit underway in Vilnius. Uh, President Vladimir Zelensky met with several leaders, including British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak and Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, as his push for Ukraine's membership into the alliance continues. Uh, during a press conference, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said its allies will continue to support Ukraine and affirmed it will become a member at a later date. The decisions made here in Vilnius mark the beginning of a new chapter in the relationship between NATO and Ukraine. Today, we meet as equals. I look forward to the day we meet as allies. We're waiting for an announcement from US President Joe Biden and G7 leaders on new efforts to bolster Ukraine's military capabilities. Uh, we're going to keep across that for you. Melissa, uh, this is probably the big development, isn't it? Uh, certainly from Zelensky's point of view, what might be contained in terms of guarantees within the statement from the G7 in particular? I think that might be one of the biggest deliverables he actually walks away with since what we're expecting on the part of the G7 when they meet and emerge from their meeting uh, with that press conference and the announcement of those long-term security guarantees, Max, is that essentially they're going to be looking not just at military capabilities that they can continue to add, but perhaps more importantly, the political, economic uh, investments that they can make in the country to try and ensure not just its independent future, but the fact that it should be more closely integrated uh, with uh, the West that uh, should uh, provide some long of those long-term guarantees that President Zelensky's uh, been looking for, as well as so many of those short-term military deliverables that we've been hearing about. And yet, we just show you just showed Max a moment from that press conference uh, and Jen Stoltenberg explaining very clearly there that they were now uh, equals, if not yet allies. And really what you heard from President Zelensky very clearly was that that was all well and good. But being uh, on the road to membership, getting pledges of aid from NATO was not the same as being a member. Again, repeating that sense of frustration. It's something we've been hearing about here on the sidelines of this meeting with the UK defence minister speaking at a briefing uh, here at the main NATO event saying, look, he's told the Ukrainians who need to be showing a little more gratitude for what's been done already. We're not Amazon. We cannot be given shopping lists and then these kinds of demands speaking uh, to the tone that so many have found surprising uh, and that was expressed again today. But a lot of focus clearly on what's to come next. First of all, the bilateral uh, between Joe Biden and President Zelensky. We've been hearing from Jake Sullivan, Max, who said that uh, the American president intends to be plain speaking with his Ukrainian counterpart, uh, even though he will be there to listen to what President Zelensky has to say as well. We will, of course, also be looking towards that package of measures much broader than simply military aid to be announced by the G7 with an eye on the political future, uh, the economic future of Ukraine. And again, it's integration within the West with an eye on what Jen Stoltenberg explained earlier, which is that the point is to prevent this kind of conflict from ever happening again, to make it absolutely clear to Moscow where the future of Ukraine lies, Max. Uh, Melissa, thank you. Back with you for those updates when they come in. Uh, the terrible images we see daily out of Ukraine underline the huge financial support that's needed to help the country rebuild. According to the Ministry of Finance, Ukraine has already received nearly $24 billion from international partners so far this year, including close to $10 billion from the EU and $7 billion from the US. Reconstruction and recovery in Ukraine will cost a minimum 
of $411 billion, according to the World Bank, European Commission and the United Nations. Earlier this month, Ukraine's finance minister urged other nations to follow the example of the EU and make a four-year commitment of financial aid. Uh, Ukrainian finance minister Sergei Marchenko joins me now. Uh, thank you so much for joining me, uh, minister. Um, positive news um, coming out of NATO in terms of support, if not exactly what your president wanted to hear in terms of accession to NATO. Uh, yes, I think that um, uh, any positive news from the Vilnius is good for us. But of course, uh, we haven't achieved our main goal, uh, at least to receive some uh, clear signals when and what period Ukraine can be part of NATO. And uh, But uh, anyway, I think the discussion will, be, will continue and we'll see that uh, a lot of countries will support Ukraine to be part of NATO. Um, how frustrating is it for you not to have a, an invitation, at least, to join NATO? Uh, I am a rather practical guy. Um, it's a question of expectation and management of expectation. I am not truly, I wasn't truly involved in this discussion from our side. That's why uh, I am not really um, able to discuss and may make our estimation on this context. So I'm better to discuss uh, financial assistance for Ukraine and where we are now than our NATO perspective. Okay, so in terms of the latest aid package um, you see coming in from the West, how do you intend to spend that? Um, of course, for us, uh, it's crucial to have predictability for 2024, because for 2023 we have fully uh, agreed uh, on uh, the level of support which different countries can provide for Ukraine. Now we are thinking further, we are thinking about 2024, and at least we have a, a part of uh, commitments from EU, and now we are expecting other G7 nations also step in and uh, so help us to cover uh, other needs of Ukraine's budget. At least we expected that uh, our budget deficit will be no lower than this year budget deficit because war uh, will go on and continue and uh, that's why we need uh, sources to cover our expenses. Um, the IMF um, in May released growth forecasts of 1, 1 to 3% for your economy, which a lot of people will be surprised at considering you're at war. But uh, what are your predictions? Uh, yeah, I'm rather optimistic. I think uh, that uh, this year quite achievable to get 3% uh, GDP growth. Uh, of course, we have a clear explanation why is it so, because of uh, low basis of last year. Last year we lost uh, uh, 29% of our GDP. That's why it's easier to start uh, even minor growth when you have so drastic decline last year. Uh, concerning our budget um, revenues, now we met our expectations and we can uh, attract uh, and we can collect uh, as much uh, revenues as we collected before the war. Of course, uh, the reason of that is inflation. Last year, inflation was 26.6. This year, we managed to decrease inflation to the level of 12.8. Uh, 
uh, and we still conduct in the wise and uh, very clear monitoring fiscal policy. Okay, Sergey Marchenko, thank you very much indeed for joining us uh, today. We're going to leave it there because we want to cross over to Vilnius. We're expecting a statement from the G7, obviously a smaller group uh, than NATO, but um, uh, President Zelensky has high hopes for what they're about to say. I am pleased to be able to announce the joint declaration on support for Ukraine today. え、ご質問、G7、広島サミットでは幅広い招待国の皆さんも含めた議論を通じて世界のどこであっても力による一方的な現状変更は許してはならない。また、本土支配に基づく自由で開かれた国際秩序を守り抜いていかなければならない。こ
But we're not waiting for that process to be finished to make the long-term commitments that we're making to Ukraine's security. Vladimir and I, we — I should, shouldn't be so familiar. Uh, Mr. Zelensky and I uh, talked about the kind of guarantees we could make in the meantime when I was in Ukraine and when we met uh, in other places. And so today, uh, the, uh, the long-term commitments we're making are, are backed up by the notion that, in the meantime, we're going to provide security to Ukraine uh, for its needs and against any aggression that may occur. Today, the members of the G7 are launching a joint declaration of support for Ukraine to make it clear that our support will last long into the future. This starts a process by which each of our nations and any other nation who wishes to participate will negotiate long-term bilateral security commitments with and to Ukraine. We're going to help Ukraine build a strong, capable defense across land, air, and sea, and from which we'll force uh, the — will be a force of stability in the region and deter against any and all threats. I want to thank my fellow G7 leaders and President Zelensky for their work to make this happen. I think it's a powerful statement, a powerful statement of our commitment to Ukraine as it defends its freedom today and as it rebuilds the future for — and as we're going to be there as long as that takes. And again, I thank all my colleagues for their support for this. Thank you very much, Mr. President, President Biden, uh, Prime Minister Kishido, um, Chancellor, oh, see, see you, Chancellor Scholz, Prime Minister Sunak, uh, President Macron, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, Prime Minister Meloni, President Michel, President von der Leyen. Great honor to be here. The outcome of the NATO summit in Vilnius is very much needed and meaningful success for Ukraine. And I'm grateful to all leaders in NATO countries for very practical and unprecedented support, considering decades of our relations support for Ukraine. Today, there are security guarantees for Ukraine on the way to NATO an important package of security guarantees. Today, we are coordinating with the G7 countries the framework for security guarantees that shall be further extended through arrangements with our key partners, bilateral and multilateral agreements. And Ukrainian delegation is bringing home significant security victory for the Ukraine, for our country, for our people, for our children, it opens for us absolutely new security opportunities. And I thank everyone who made it possible. Thank you, dear colleagues. Thanks you. Thanks, Lithuania and Jens Stoltenberg. Thank you very much. Slava Ukraini. This concludes the speaking program. Please remain seated for the family photo. Okay, well, there you go. The G7 leaders have made their statement now, or some of them have at least. They're off to have their photo uh, taken together, always a key part of these events, at big international uh, events there. But um, we'll bring you that. Uh, but uh, the headline really there was that um, President Zelensky was looking for 
what, what he described uh, as um, agreements, sort of guarantees for Ukraine uh, as they make their path towards NATO. They did want a formal invitation to NATO. They never got that. But this was the compromise, these security guarantees. And that was going to come through the G7. And that was delivered, according to President Zelensky. So he says there has been something meaningful coming out of this for Ukraine. Uh, so that was the, the big development we've had, really, in the last hour. So some positive news for Ukraine on its path towards NATO. We'll be back in just a moment. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about the stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra-processed foods. There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff, and some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Uh, These are images of the family photo of the G7 that we've just received in after their statement publicly. Uh, They gave a declaration. Um, Here we are. They're all coming together. It's always good to see these moments, isn't it? They don't happen... Uh, that often the real sort of sign of the world powers, the uh, seven most powerful economies in the world, gathering together there and representatives from the EU as well. Um, what we just heard from President Biden uh, was that uh, the G7 have agreed to provide security to Ukraine against any aggression that may occur, clear support lasting long into the future. And President Zelensky coming in afterwards saying that was a meaningful success for Ukraine. Uh, the security guarantees... Uh, are for NATO as it makes its part for Ukraine as it makes a path towards NATO. He didn't get what he ideally wanted, which was an invitation, a formal invitation to NATO. But he is receiving formal guarantees of security as we approach that time, which will come one day, President Biden said. We'll continue to bring you live updates from the second and final day of NATO summit in Lithuania here on CNN. But first, uh, an important and encouraging new read on the path of U.S. prices. New data shows U.S. consumer inflation rising at a 3% rate uh, year over year in June. This is the first time in more than two years that headline inflation has come in below 4%. It also is the 12th straight month of easing inflation. The all-important core rate that factors out volatile food and energy prices is easing too to under 5% 
on a yearly basis. Both the headline and core numbers came in lower than expected. The market reaction, of course, positive. All the major U.S. averages are rallying in early trading with tech stocks in the lead. U.S. bond yields are pulling back after the report, too. For more on today's inflation number, I'm joined by Michael Gapin, the head of U.S. economics at Bank of America Securities. Thank you so much for joining us. And we've seen the reaction from the markets. I guess it's this core figure that's really impressed them. That's right. So there was evidence, another month of evidence that inflation is is gradually dissipating in the U.S. economy. And and we saw um, a further moderation in services inflation, which is kind of a key consideration for the Federal Reserve because it in some ways reflects the strength of the domestic economy. We do expect weakness in some goods prices, but there there was a broad-based softness in the report. And I think it's a very good report for the economy and the outlook for disinflation. Uh, and a stabilization in inflation going forward. Uh, Were there particular sectors moving more than others? Well, we did see for the first time in several months, used car prices began to fall again. They had been falling for a while. They were up dramatically during the pandemic. They were up about 50% uh, during the pandemic. And we have expected them to come back down as new auto supply has come on board. That was happening and then it stopped. Now it appears to be happening again. I think that would be considered good news. Uh, Airline prices uh, came down dramatically on on the month. But a key consideration for for the Federal Reserve has been what we call shelter inflation or rents, uh, rental inflation, housing inflation. That actually moderated further. It's still rising, but it rose 0.4 on the month versus 0.5 or 0.6. So again, showing signs of slowing. So I would point to those three categories, housing, inflation, airlines, as well as used cars. Um, how will the important, you know, the only important thing, obviously, is how the Fed will react to this. Have you any sense, do you think, um, having looked at their, you know, most recent decisions? I do think what they're telling us, uh, and I think what the data in totality supports, not just the inflation data, but the labor market and other activity data, suggests the Fed will raise its policy rate another 25 basis points or a quarter of a percent at its July meeting later this month. But I think after that, things are still very open-ended. We think that they will do one more 25 basis point increase after that. But if inflation continues to surprise to the downside, maybe they don't. So I think the outlook is very data dependent. I certainly think more action in June is forthcoming. And we'll see what happens after that. Uh, Energy and food prices obviously affecting people directly. And they have been really feeling it, haven't they? Uh, What do you expect to happen there? Right there. And as you mentioned in in the lead, energy prices have been coming down very dramatically over the last year. But there's kind of big base effects here because they peaked in in last June, July. So the headline rate of inflation has come down as energy prices have stabilized. But this month, food prices were up a, a tenth or two. Energy rebounded about a half a percent. Gasoline prices were up one percent. So I think most of the improvement there is in the rearview mirror. Um, and we need to be watchful for signs that a still strong U.S. economy and global economy pushes energy prices higher. Michael Gapin of uh, Bank of America Securities, thank you so much for joining us with your insight today. Now, thank coming you. up, the U.S. is uh, trying to contain the damage after a serious cybersecurity breach. Hackers targeting U.S. government agencies. Details just ahead. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. 
celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. North Korea fired what's thought to be another intercontinental ballistic missile. Japan says it flew more than 70 minutes before coming down into the sea. It comes as the US, Japan and South Korea meet to discuss security issues. At the NATO summit, Mark Stewart joins us from Tokyo. I mean, we get these sorts of reports quite often now. What makes this one different for you, Mark? Well, I think it's the timing, Max. As we have talked about many times before, North Korea always tries to stay relevant. And it does so when often when other parts of the world are getting attention. In this case, the NATO summit in Lithuania. Early on in that summit, before this even happened, we heard condemnation about the North Korean program from the Secretary General of NATO. And then we have this. It also comes at a time when the United States and South Korea are really beefing up their military relationship. We've even seen a stronger alliance now between South Korea uh, and Japan. This is obviously drawing a lot of condemnation uh, from around the world, including the uh, cabinet secretary, the chief cabinet secretary here in Japan. Take a listen to that. Such ballistic missile launches violate relevant United Nations Security Council resolutions and are a serious security issue for our citizens. We have lodged a strong protest against North Korea through our embassy in Beijing. That is the reaction from Japan. South Korea also responding very strongly. Uh, There is a cabinet meeting involving the president, who is now in Lithuania, an emergency cabinet meeting, if you will, uh, where uh, there was warnings of consequences uh, to North Korea, Max. Finally, we should point out that not only was this missile in the air for a long time, seen as a marked advancement, it also was an intercontinental ballistic missile with the potential to hit U.S. soil. Uh, I mean, in terms of reactions, what sort of options are open to the authorities without, you know, the other countries without provoking North Korea? Right. I mean, this is something that happens over and over again. I mean, it'll be interesting to see just how much of a diplomatic discussion this becomes. Uh, You know, China obviously has a relationship with North Korea. Uh, that's why uh, Japan turned to the Beijing embassy uh, to perhaps see if, if, if China can can perhaps put some pressure on this to kind of lower the temperature, if you will. Uh, but right now, you know, the, the issue is this. The United States does not recognize North Korea in a diplomatic way. Under President Trump, there were discussions. Under President Biden, there has been no conversation. So that's going to be a very difficult thing to, to balance and battle for that reason, Max. Okay, Mark, uh, thanks for joining us from Japan with that. Uh, The US and Microsoft are sounding the alarm on a serious new cybersecurity threat. They say hackers have breached the email accounts of two dozen organizations, including US government agencies. Microsoft says the hackers are based in China and they're focused on espionage. Sean Lingas joins me now. I mean, what more information are we managing to get on this one, Sean? Hi, Max. Well, this uh, this broke overnight here in the, in the East Coast, so it's been a fun uh, several hours. But uh, the, the what we know right now is as CNN reported this morning that the State Department was uh, effectively patient zero in this hack, meaning they were the first to detect 
the intrusion into their email accounts, and they in turn alerted Microsoft, and that set off this um, sort of goose chase for, for the hackers and to try to evict them from networks. Uh, it's a very targeted attack, meaning um, these alleged Chinese hackers are after very specific information from high-level officials, and it's like you said, it's only a handful of, of federal agencies, uh, and they're trying to pick out information from the unclassified email system. So, uh, the, you know, the Biden administration is 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 pointing out that they were first to de detect this and not Microsoft. So there's some finger pointing going on, um, but this is more of the same in terms of the the long-running, very challenging Chinese espionage threat facing uh, U.S. government agencies and corporations, according to outside experts, not just government sources, but outside experts and well-documented uh, uh, activity from the Chinese. Now, the, the Chinese typically deny this and point out that the, the U.S. government in turn conducts its own hacking, but the scale and sophistication that, that, it, that we're seeing sometimes from the Chinese is something that really keeps U.S. officials up at night, Max. And are, do, I mean, does the U.S. have the capability to deal with them, to, you know, with these more sophisticated attacks? They've invested, uh, the U.S. government has invested billions in, um, in software and in personnel to try to detect these, these hacks. And, and uh, the, the challenge here is that the, all it takes is one, one opening uh, for, for uh, well-trained hackers to get in. So it's not like they need... They, they, they need to be right once, and, and uh, you know, the U.S. government needs to be right all the time. So it's very much on the defensive. So they are getting more capable, but um, the cards are in some ways uh, stacked uh, in favor of the attacker, Max. Okay. Uh, Sean, thank you very much for bringing us that. Uh, welcome back to First Move. Extreme weather throttling parts of Asia from Japan, where heavy rain has triggered deadly flooding and landslides, and China suffocating amid an historic heat wave. India, more than well, more and more people are dying um, after torrential monsoon rains as well. Anna Corrin is in Hong Kong with the very latest. Extreme weather across Asia has experts convinced the continent is bearing the brunt of climate change. In Japan, unusually heavy rain in the country's mountainous southern island, Kyushu, has caused extensive flooding and landslides. Homes have been washed away, hospitals flooded, electricity and water cut off. The Japan Meteorological Agency has described it as the heaviest rain ever on the island. Eight people are dead and four are missing. These are the latest numbers from authorities. Rescue and recovery operations are underway and more rain and storms are forecast for the island and southwestern Japan. Let's turn our attention now to China, where dangerous heat is causing severe problems. Temperatures are in the mid-30s and are expected to climb even higher in the coming week, possibly reaching 40 degrees in parts of South China. The China Energy Investment Corporation, the world's largest coal-fired power generation company, said the volume of power generated on Monday reached a historic high, with energy loads continuing to rise in southern and eastern China. Even zookeepers in Shanxi province, northern China, are trying to keep animals cool by giving them blocks of ice to hug and lick. While in other parts of the country, heavy rainfall is causing flooding. The extreme weather across China comes as U.S. climate envoy John Kerry travels to Beijing this weekend for climate talks with Chinese officials. Meanwhile, in India, 
Heavy rainfall has caused flash floods and landslides in Himachal Pradesh, where the death toll stands at 31 and more than 2,000 people have been evacuated. The government said relief efforts are underway and emergency crews are working to reopen roads affected by landslides. In neighbouring Punjab state, 10 people have been killed so far. Schools have been closed here and other affected areas to prevent further disasters. The only good news is that rainfall in both states is expected to ease in the coming days. Anna Corrin, CNN, Hong Kong. Members of the Screen Actors Guild could join members of the Writers Guild of America on the picket lines as soon as tonight if they're unable to reach an agreement with movie studios. SAG-AFTRA agreed to mediation with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers but says it won't extend today's deadline. The contract between the two expired on July the 1st and comes at a time when studios are pinching pennies whilst performers are fighting for a better and more fair compensation. If a strike goes through, it could be the first actors striking more than 40 years in Hollywood. And finally, Britney Spears is leaping into the literary world, saying she's ready to tell her story, quote, on her terms, in a highly anticipated new memoir called The Woman in Me. Set for release on October the 24th, blockbuster publishers Simon and Schuster snapped up the rights for what's said to be an eye-watering sum. Fans across the world are falling over themselves to hear about Spears' life after she successfully fought to end a 13-year court-ordered conservatorship. Uh, That is it uh, for this show. Connect the World, though, is up next for you. Stay tuned. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.